Especially, we, we hold on to God's promise that should anything happen in our lives, that we actually close our eyes in death, we hold on to God's promise that we will open our eyes in heaven where there is perfect security. No locks, no security systems, no passwords. Because nothing can hurt us. There's, there's not going to be anything sneaking around in the shadows at night because guess what? There is no night. And when we hold onto these promises right now, it takes all that fear and anxiety, that, that wondering, did I really close the garage door? It takes all that anxiety and it, it just evaporates. Like, like dew on a summer morning as joy rises in our hearts. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. We're talking about Easter joy this morning. And what better place to go than Revelation chapter 21, where we get a tour of heaven and we get to see the joys that await us there. We read from Revelation 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is God's word. We've had quite the journey through Revelation in the last couple of weeks, haven't we? What do you think of Revelation so far? I asked somebody that last week, and they said, I'll be honest, I think it can be a bit difficult. And I, I get that for sure. Sometimes you get into these visions and it, it can just seem like symbolism overload or sensory overload. But I think when that happens, it's a good idea to keep in mind the main message of Revelation. This is the main message of Revelation right here. Jesus wins. Even when everything else seems really bad, seems really scary, Jesus wins. And that's what we have here in Revelation 21. At the end of the book, Jesus wins. You know, I was, I was thinking to myself, couldn't God have just told John, don't worry, Jesus wins. It's going to be okay, Jesus wins. But God doesn't just tell John that. What he does is he shows him 
that Jesus wins. God shows him heaven. Even though John is on earth, he's on the island of Patmos. God takes John on this tour of heaven because it's meant to do something for John right then and right there. It's meant to fill him with joy. And so that's the same reason we have this vision before us this morning. That's why we go on this tour of heaven with with John is so that it does something for us. It's my prayer this morning that the Spirit would put this vision of victory on your hearts and fill you with joy. A joy that's steady in any circumstance. And this morning we're going to spend some time thinking about where that joy comes from. It's a joy that comes from perfect communion with God. From perfect security and from a perfect hope. We're going to start with that joy that comes from perfect communion with God. And John shows us what that looks like by taking us on this tour of heaven. Now, I don't know, the the first stop on this city tour might seem actually a little disappointing. Because John says, there's no temple to see. You know, I'm on this tour of of heaven and I'm thinking, "No no temple, that's kind of a bummer. You know, you'd think this heavenly city of all places, this, this would be where the most beautiful, spectacular temple or, or church is. You know, my mind's going to the, the temple in Israel. Solomon's temple is overlaid with gold, and people would travel thousands of miles to see that temple. Or I'm thinking about the people today. They fly thousands of miles to see the, the temples of Europe. Those churches, those massive cathedrals that span to the heavens. So you'd think you're on this tour of the heavenly city. Aren't you sort of expecting just the temple, the, the church of your dreams to just knock your socks off? Why no temple? Why no church? Let me ask you a more personal question first. Why are you here this morning? You didn't have to come. Nobody, nobody made you. You could have slept in. It's a nice kind of rainy day to curl up on the couch. Maybe read a book, watch some Netflix. But what made you get up, get dressed, and come to church this morning? Is it, is it just routine for you at this point? It's, you know, it's Sunday, so that's what we do. Um, were, you, were you curious? You wanted to check out what's happening at Peace at 10 a.m. on a Sunday? Is it the, the good music or the, did you have a craving for Folgers coffee? Now I do like Folgers coffee, by the way. But let me tell you why I'm here this morning. I'm here because I need to be here. Not just because I'm a vicar and it's my job to stand up here, but I need to be here. Because there's sin in my heart. And sin, left unaddressed, eats away at everything good. It eats away at everything good like termites in a log cabin. It devours our joy. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what splits up parents. It's what fuels arguments. It's what causes anxiety. All of these things. Sin is what robs us of our joy. 
Because it does. It separates us from God who is the source of all joy, of all goodness. So that's really why we're here this morning. We're here this morning because God is here. Although sin had separated us from God, we are here in this temple, in this church, because we come into God's presence. We have a communion. We have a togetherness with God. At the beginning of the service, we come into God's presence in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We come into God's presence. We say those words of sin and grace. We recognize our sin but we hold on to God's forgiveness. That's why we're here at church this morning. Because God is here. And where God is, there is grace. There is the forgiveness that we need. And that does not rob us of joy. That does not kill our joy. But it creates joy. That's why we're here this morning. And that's also why there's no church in the heavenly city. Because there doesn't need to be one. There's no sin that separates us from God. There's no sin that can rob us of any of our joys. In heaven, we will just have a perfect communion, a perfect togetherness with God. To live in all of His grace and goodness, just a perpetual stream of it. We won't have this rhythm of of Sunday morning church or evening devotion. It's just going to be 24-7 being overflowed with God's love, God's forgiveness, God's grace. In heaven, we will have perfect communion. We have communion with God right now. We have that togetherness, and that gives us joy. But we look forward to to the day where we have perfect communion and perfect joy. Steady joy also comes from perfect security. So we're on this this tour of the heavenly city, right? And now we get to the heavenly gates. And guess what? St. Peter isn't there. St. Peter isn't at the pearly gates holding a giant key in his hand, guarding the gates of heaven. You know, somebody, somebody better tell the cartoonists and the comedians that they've got it all wrong. Because St. Peter is not heaven's gatekeeper. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. But for one, the gates are never shut. That's what John tells us. He says, on no day will its gates ever be shut. Maybe maybe what that means is is lost on us a little bit since we don't live in, in walled cities with gates. But in a walled city, the gates would be shut every night to keep any enemies from sneaking in. The gates would be shut every night so that the people inside the city could sleep with a sense of security. So in heaven, the gates are never shut. You think living in our homes, and our houses today, that's a good idea? Always leave the front door open. Unless unless you live in a a city or a town of, you know, 200 people and everybody knows everybody, it's probably not a great idea just to leave our front doors open. You know, maybe maybe you're even the kind of person that 
before going to bed, checks that the bolt is locked, you know, two, three times, make sure the, the security system is armed. Or maybe even you're one of those people that on, the, on their key remotes, they push the lock button like six times, and you hear all those honks again and again and again. That can be a little annoying, but I don't know if I can blame you. You know, with, with everything that's out in the world right now, everything that's out to get us, I don't know if I can really blame you. With everything that you hear about on the news, the, the shootings and the stray bullets, the, the break-ins and the kidnappings, you hear about the, the drunk driving and the car crashes. More and more I've been hearing about all of the, the scams that are going around, right? You hear about all this identity theft and people are trying to steal credit card information. You hear about all of that on the news, and it can be a robbery in and of itself. It can rob you of your joy. You know, it can take that steady joy and leave just steady sadness. When you're looking out into the world and you're thinking, what in the world is happening? Or it can take that steady joy and just leave steady worry. When you think, how do I know that stuff isn't going to happen to me. How do I know that I'm really safe? I'm really secure? Because we don't really know what's happening tomorrow. We don't know whether tomorrow is going to bring a, a car crash or a house fire or a, a broken thumb. You know, we, we take all of our precautions. We lock our doors. We, we buckle our seatbelts. We do all those things. But at the end of the day, we really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But we're here today to restore that joy. To return all that joy that's been stolen by, by sadness, by a sense of insecurity. And to do that, we go to something that can never, ever be taken away from us. We go to God's promises. We hold on to God's promises. God's promise that he will send angel armies to guard and protect us right now. Especially we, we hold on to God's promise that should anything happen in our lives, that we actually close our eyes in death, we hold on to God's promise that we will open our eyes in heaven where there is perfect security. No locks, no security systems, no passwords. Because nothing can hurt us. There's, there's not going to be anything sneaking around in the shadows at night because guess what? There is no night. And when we hold onto these promises right now, it takes all that fear and anxiety, that, that wondering, did I really close the garage door? It takes all that anxiety and it, it just evaporates. Like, like dew on a summer morning, as joy rises in our hearts. We have steady joy because we have security. We may not know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we know that we have eternal security. Steady joy comes from communion with God, it comes from security. Finally, it comes from a perfect hope. 
You know, I had mentioned that someone thought Revelation can be a bit difficult, which I get. Someone else actually shared with me, they said, I think Revelation can sometimes be a bit scary. And I get that one too. You know, there's all the symbolism of the, of the beasts and the dragons, and, and that's scary. And then it's scary what all that symbolism really represents. But you'd think where we are this morning, at the end of the book, Revelation 21, this tour of heaven, that there couldn't possibly be anything that we read that would scare us, right? But I wonder if there is a verse that I read that may have scared a couple people. Especially those of you with a heavy conscience. That verse, let me read it for you one more time. It's the last verse. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Now we might read that verse as a comfort. There will be nothing, no one in heaven that can hurt us or lie to us, and that's true. But I wonder if some of you read that verse as a warning. You know, we're, we're on this, this tour of the heavenly city. Everything seems happy and joyful. Everything's great. And then you get to a verse like this. Nothing impure will ever enter it. And your heart might skip a beat. Because you realize, wait a second. That's me. I've lied. I've certainly done shameful things in my life. I am impure. That's scary. And then when, when you start having these thoughts, you ask yourself the scariest question anyone on this planet can ask. Am I really going to heaven? That's scary. But do you remember what I said? If you encounter something that seems confusing or scary in the book of Revelation, what do we do? We remember the main message of the book. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. I'll say it again. Jesus wins. Our hope for getting into heaven is actually grounded in something that's already happened. It's already happened when Jesus won on the cross. When he felt what it was like to have absolutely no communion with God. To suffer hell in our place. When Jesus won on the cross as he gave up all sense of security. As he allowed his body to be struck and suffocated. When Jesus rose on the third day victorious. Our hope for the future is grounded in the past. When Jesus made the impure pure. But I really, really want to drive home this, this hope with you this morning. I don't want anyone leaving this building having any sort of doubts. And so to do that, we get to our final stop on this heavenly tour. Final stop, you ready for it? It's a book. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. And this book gives us a perfect hope because it, it, it roots our hope in something that actually happened all the way before time ever started ticking. Because from eternity, God chose you. 
And he wrote your name down in his book. That question, am I really going to enter heaven? It's not dependent upon how good of a person you are. It's dependent entirely on the fact that God in his grace wrote your name down in his book. Before any nurse ever wrote your name down on a, on a birth certificate in the hospital, God wrote your name down in his book in heaven. It's a done deal. Our hope is sure. It is grounded. God chose you from eternity. Jesus won you on the cross, and Jesus is winning in your hearts right now. He's living in communion with you, living together with you. And he's guarding you and keeping you safe until you get to the gates of heaven. You have this perfect hope right now. And may this hope fill you with just a steady joy in any circumstance you may find yourself. There you have it. That's the end of our tour through the heavenly city. It's also the end of our journey through the book of Revelation. I'm still curious what everyone thought about Revelation. Still maybe a little confusing, maybe a little scary in some parts. But my encouragement is is don't give up on reading the book of Revelation. Keep reading it. Find, Find joy in all the ways that Jesus wins. Find joy today knowing that Jesus is bigger than our sin. Find joy today knowing that the good news about Jesus is better than any news you are going to hear on TV. Even if if you don't grab on to every single word from this book, find joy knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's book. Even if you don't remember every single word from this vision, never let go of the victory. Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, you win. You are victorious. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, You are our risen and victorious Lord. We praise you for your power and your love that makes your victory our victory. Fill our hearts with joy right now until we walk the golden streets of the new Jerusalem. Oh, what joys await us there. Amen.